Hello, this is Bill Chambers, and welcome to another episode of the Faster Podcast. My objective is to interview world-class performers to discover how it is that they do what they do, what makes them unique and fascinating, their success mindset, habits, and behaviors, and share these insights to challenge and inspire you. This episode is brought to you by Precision Hydration. I often get asked how to hydrate before training and racing. If, like me, and doing a lot of indoor training at the moment, and with the winter months ahead, it's important to stay hydrated, yet it's also very important to stay hydrated with the right amount of sodium. I used to always suffer from cramps after long or hard ergo sessions and couldn't figure out exactly why. That was until I came across the team at Precision Hydration and took their online sweat test. What I discovered that was just drinking water or a sports drink actually diluted my sodium level, which not only impacted my performance, it did nothing to help me with the offset of my cramps. I also discovered from the sweat test that everyone loses a different amount of sodium in their sweat, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hydration just doesn't work. The team at Precision Hydration have developed an online sweat test that you can access. It's based on scientific data from taking thousands of sweat samples. It's easy to do. and just five minutes, you'll have your own personalized hydration plan tailored to what you're training for. I've been using Precision Hydration's products for the last six months, and I can attest to how they've really helped me to get rid of the cramps. Right now, Precision Hydration is offering you a free online sweat test and 10% off all Precision Hydration products. Simply go to precisionhydration.com and enter the code FASTER10 to get 10% off your purchase. My guest today is James Goodwin, who is the Head of Physical Performance and Science for the Swiss Rowing Federation. James, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. We've got quite a few questions that have been raised by the Masters Rowing Group around strength exercises for rowers, but before we, and particularly Masters Rowers, but before we get into that, how would you describe what it is what you do? I work as the, the physical performance and sports science lead with the Swiss guys. It encompasses a few different things. One of the, the primary parts is direct delivery from the strength and conditioning side. That's most of the time that the guys do in the gym, the real meaty part of the program. Another part of that is what we do with our physiological profiling with the athletes and working with the coaches to help individualize some of the training to help maybe support some of the, the physiological pathways that maybe need developing. Uh, and then some other things like one of the things we worked on in 2020 was heat strategy, for example. So look, there's a couple of little things that integrate that, but ultimately have a part in making sure that the guys can perform physically i think that's probably the best way to sum everything up so it's beyond just strength and conditioning that's very much still the head coach's responsibility is to deliver and, and prescribe the kind of overall program but I'm, I'm there as a bit of a guidance based on maybe what we see on the physiological side and how many athletes do you manage quite a lot <laughs> to be honest at the moment in the elite group i think we have about maybe 18 guys that are regularly training in Zonin at the moment. 
I also support Anne-Marie doing the juniors and the under 23s. So when those guys come together for the KZs, then I'll do a little bit of delivery there. Also for some of the more development-based groups where I can have real impact is some of the guys that are maybe a bit newer to strength and conditioning training. So I'll do a lot with like Futuro and we run some camps in, we run one of the camps in Tenero, which is like a multi-sport camp, which we really use to try and do some kind of SNC education to give those guys a bit of support that they can go back to their clubs and, and get themselves cracking. And when they come to the KZZs, then they're in a better place. So KZZ, what, what is that for our listeners? It's a uh, Kazug. So it's basically a, a little German phrase for a mini training camp, basically. With regards to the strength and conditioning across the Swiss Federation, you send out a, a briefing document like every couple of weeks or every month. Is the intention that all the clubs follow a similar program? It's There's obviously, there's, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And we very much put a spin on the program that is from a very clearly driven philosophy. And what I send out is, you know, an, an image of that philosophy. What I probably don't expect is that everyone goes through it and goes, okay, I'm going to do this exact program because exercises etc there's many different constraints where you want to base a training plan on my in an ideal world i'd like people to look at that and go okay this is roughly what the swiss guys are doing if i've got athletes in the team then i know what i need to prepare them for and that's the the real important bit if that makes sense but it's it's certainly not gospel it's not the bible but it's what we do with the swiss guys and what we're going to continue doing for the foreseeable future and how do you design your weight specific exercises around the rowing stroke? Because what I've noticed in your briefing is a lot of hex bar deadlifts, Romanian deadlifts, a lot of squats, front squats, back squats. Can you share a little bit of your logic around how you design a program? When I'm looking at a rowing stroke, I'm thinking a few things. One is what is the general kind of pattern we see in a rowing stroke and what uh, muscle groups and movement patterns is that made up out of? And I guess looking at rowing, how I see rowing, it's a knee hip driven sport. And the knee comes first, but the hip is also extremely active as well. So hence, a big part of our training plan is going to include a lot of squatting, a lot of deadlifting, a lot of hinging type exercise to develop the hips. And when we also look at rowers, we know physically they have to be quite strong in the upper body. Certainly from a lot of the research that we see, we know upper body strength is a is an important correlate for rowing performance as a general thing not just a kind of maximal power from a rowing performance perspective but general rowing performance i think that bases a lot of what i do with the guys is just looking at that stroke and going okay we know what movement patterns evolve what biomechanics are involved and making sure that we use exercises that are specific enough to to transfer to the boat gotcha the question of how strong does a rower have to be? When you look at uh, measuring your one rep max, and then you get down to doing, I think it's uh, 10 at 80%. So how strong do I have to be to effectively move the boat? I guess my immediate thought is then how, how long is a piece of string? And if the athlete is 90 kilograms, does that mean squatting 90 kilograms is enough or do they need to squat 180 kilograms how much is enough to be it's quite a it's quite a a broad answer to be honest but as a a general rule of thumb what we want in rowing is to produce high amounts of power we know power is important in the sport it's a strength endurance sport and we need that and when i can produce high amounts of maximal power that's not just about a quick start and a quick 
finish, but that's also about improving your rowing economy. But you've got a power reserve that you can work with. The example I always use and say, okay, if you have a, a maximal power production of 900 watts and you row your race at 450 watts, when we increase that tank to 1,000 watts or 1,100 watts, actually for you to hold your race pace, you can be much more efficient with that. No power and maximal strength has a, a big impact on rowing economy. And I think for me, it's always about looking at the individual and making a judgment call on that. We've got some guys on the team who are exceptionally strong, probably about as strong as you need to get. And from some of the research on the other national teams are as strong, if not stronger. And equally, we have guys that are not up to that level. So it's really, it's pretty broad in terms of what we want to look at because it's dependent on class. Like you said, it's dependent on body weight as well. If I've got a guy who's 90 kilos, but he's only squatting 15 kilos less than a guy who's maybe 105 kilos, then that difference is very much marginalized. But Mm -hmm. then equally, we can't exactly equate it to body weight because if we equated power outputs and force outputs to body weight, then the lightweights would win everything on paper. But we know that's not the case because there's there's an effect of drag the wet surface drag on the boat and depending on how much body weight you're actually pushing into the boat that the actual effect on then how much boat is then immersed in the water as it's traveling through is minimalized but then equally if you're a big 130 kilo dude sitting in a boat then you're gonna gonna sink it a little bit more but um sorry i know that was a long answer and a bit, bit of a workaround but ultimately there isn't necessarily a right answer to that it is very much about using my own experience and my knowledge of what rowers should be able to do at various body weights, at various body proportions, and looking at that whole physiological profile and deciding if that's a problem or not. So in general, then, when you're looking at the heavyweight squad and some of the the bigger lads that are coming, finishing the top 10 on the worlds on the concept to what would approximately their squat be? 150% of their body weight or 200% of their... So body weights, body weight can be a bit more difficult to do in rowing. So in other sports that I've worked in, we've used, we'll use relative strength loads to body weight a little bit more. I found in rowing, it can be a bit more difficult to do. So what I prefer to do is have a bit of a, a banding mm-hmm. and say, okay, 90 for a heavyweight man, it might be 85 kilo dude to hundred kilo dude, and then hundred kilo plus dude and use a slightly different strength bounding for that because mm-hmm. it can vary quite a bit. I'd say in general, for most heavyweight men, I would probably expect around a 145 kilo max squat. That is what I would expect as a standard to try and get towards. So it's pretty big. I I think like in rowing terms, we think it's big, but like I've equally worked with athletics guys that could smash the crap out of that so it really does vary across sports and the big diesely guys in rowing and they've got tall limbs and it's a little bit harder for those guys to hit some kind of deeper ranges they can it does put them a little bit of a disadvantage in terms of what numbers they can hit in the gym i still think they're pretty strong and what do you think is the reason behind some of the the more experienced rowers i'm thinking of murray and bond and tomkins and gin stop lifting weights in the last six years of their career and still yeah. at the top, right? I think when you look at a lot of those guys, if you took the Kiwi pair, for example, they are exceptional. And from my understanding of what I've heard about their physiology, that it's pretty immense. So that's almost, it's such a super strength than their abilities to maybe produce 
high force outputs in the gym almost doesn't really become a factor because they're so far ahead on the aerobic side. But as a general rule of thumb, we look at the sport and we know 2K rowing is roughly a 70-30 split in terms mm-hmm. of aerobic and anaerobic. So we know that anaerobic portion has a big impact. But like I imagine for them, their 70% is so outrageous compared mm-hmm. to the rest of the field. It just makes mm-hmm. them so far above. Um, you mean they're so aerobically efficient, they're putting out so much yeah, power huge, that aerobic... Huge threshold they can just maintain such a high level compared to everyone else and that in the way they race they, they don't really try a huge amount out of the blocks they just get themselves moving they're quite happy to be in last place up to 500 and then just bang burners come through absolutely obliterate everyone so yeah. it's also so of course it's the physical performance of the individual but it's also the performance over time and building that motor and building a big base and they've got to a point where they're so good they can perhaps back off. So turning to masters, we put quite a few questions up for the masters group. Wow. We got, this was a pretty heavy response, but that's cool. I think one of them that stood out for you and I in our pre-conversation is should masters do weight training at all? So what's your feedback to that? So let's also classify this. We're talking people of 35 and up that are rowing. Um, actually, you know, looking through some of those questions, I think I've made a couple of notes and my first one to this one was, I just wrote yes, three times. So I think, I think that probably <laughs> answers that in terms of what my perspective why, is on it. Why, why should masters rowers do weight training? Yeah. But why is it important? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think starting from what some of the history is around the weight training side, I think sometimes there's a bit of a stigma attached to weight training and that kind of runs parallel with maybe also how we view using strength training and resistance training in youth athletes as well i think that same stigma is a little bit attached on the master side that it's a little bit risky it's a little bit dangerous you're going to damage your bones damage your joints but from my understanding of what the evidence is a well executed weight training program has zero detrimental effect on bone joint health I think for masters rowers, probably the opposite is actually true. The key word there is obviously well executed. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be expecting a masters rowers to walk in and immediately just do 200 kilo deadlifts or reps, maybe at some point if they got strong enough. But it's important that resistance training program is scaled in order mm-hmm. to be effective and that it's progressive. I think one of the things as we get older, a big issue that's talked about from the public health environment at the moment is sarcopenia. So the kind of progressive loss of muscle mass, and that's definitely common as you get a little bit older. And what do we know is the most effective strategy to prevent sarcopenia is resistance training. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of other comorbidities, things like osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, correlates very highly to general kind of loss of function and ability. We ultimately don't really want that. Of course we don't. So there's a huge body of kind of research demonstrating that strength training is quite effective and a very good injury prevention strategy. I think from a performance perspective, as well as just a health benefit for for master's rowers, master's rowing takes place over 1K. So like when we talk about that 70-30 split of a 2K event, actually a 1K is much shorter. So those anaerobic qualities are likely to be a little bit more influential. Obviously, Mm. maybe the pace is a a, a little bit slower than maybe what we see at the elite level, but we can certainly take 
a master's eight for example and know that's going to be finished pretty quickly and yeah, those anaerobic qualities can, it's going to be more influential and how about and, some of the the masters that are also competing like i know that there's the ladies and gentlemen in ireland do a lot of offshore mm-hmm. racing which is uh, over 4k and then you've got the head of the charles 4.7k silver skiff 11k the benefits of, of weight uh, or resistance training there is certainly going to make the body a lot more enduring over those longer distances. It's going to be able Huge. to support the technique. The biggest impact of strength training, I think one of the most underrated impacts is looking at our kind of technical model of rowing. When we want to have someone that rows effectively, and I think uh, Edward touched on this a little bit, there is a physical capacity demand for someone to be able to hold their technique in a rowing boat. I think one of the things we really underestimate is go, okay, I'm going to make some technical points and say, okay, this person maybe needs to be longer at the catch, have longer arms at the catch, be a little bit more engaged in the lats. But if they don't have the strength in their own musculature to hold that, then you can forget about that technique being able to be executed well. There's, there's, even though we might go, okay, those events are a little bit longer in duration and maybe the anaerobic qualities don't influence as much there's still a big effect of strength training on other parts within the rowing side rather than just the pure physiology side. I agree. And the conversations I've had with Eddie and others, that there's this so important to have that strong core, the pelvis, the hip, the glutes, the quads, like you were saying, that hinging movement. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what level you're rowing at or how fast, it's important to be strong around there. So one of the most popular questions that were listed is what strength exercises are recommended? This is, a, again, quite a long one. <laughs> to be honest, there's nothing, there's not a huge amount that's not necessarily recommended, if that makes sense. Resistance training is pretty generic. I still, as well as beyond those things like squats and hinging and stuff like that, there is a, a whole avenue to go down in terms of when you're really trying to work on some specific weak parts in someone's core or how they're using the hip more effectively. We still do a lot of single leg training with the guys, but I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is that most of our exercise selection is quite context dependent. I'm looking at some guys and going, okay, you're a big six foot nine guy. It's a little bit tighter for you to maybe say, okay, I want you back squatting with a bar on your back, but maybe we can use a bit more of a front squat here, or maybe I'll use this person as a bit more of a trap bar deadlift as more of a, a lower body strength emphasis for them. I think it's a bit more, it's a bit more about going, okay, what adaptations are we looking for? And then going, well, what exercises are the best tools that can generate the best adaptation for that person at that time and place. So it's like the, in general, James, if we're breaking down the stroke, from what I know, from what you've sent to me, you've, you've definitely got the squat front and, and back squat. There's the deadlift and also Romanian deadlift. You move around to single arm uh, dumbbell rows. You've got the, the Swiss ball doing uh, press from the Swiss ball. There's bench press. There's Eddie's favorite chin-ups. And what I've, what I've found also is, is something that I've neglected over the years is the strength through the pelvis and the core mm-hmm. and that pelvis bridge or the pelvis thrust with the barb across weighted is they're all good ones. And my friend in America, Greg Benning always likes to do more work on the foot as well. So doing the feet raises or calf raises yeah. to strengthen the bridge of the foot and the connection with the foot plate. If you were to take on that core group, 
Would you be pretty comfortable with prescribing that as a catch-all for masters to get general strength? In general, I would be. I think sometimes with the, for me, a squat pattern is pretty important for a rower. It gives us a, it really shows us about the capacity to express the range of motion that we need around the hip and the knee to execute rowing. A squat pattern, I think for a lot of rowers is quite key, but there's also a lot of different ways to deliver that. If you're, if you've got limited training experience with a bar, then you can equally use the bow or a dumbbell and go for something like a goblet squat can be a very effective training method. So it's also, we look at a lot of the time in rowing, we really focus on, okay, we've got the our, our big four exercises, our back squat, front squat, our deadlift, our bench press, our bench pull. But actually there's many different ways that we can replicate some of those similar movement patterns yeah. and just scale it down a little bit, especially for people who are, you know, maybe coming back from an injury or are, are not confident at all yet with using a barbell that's fine there's, there's still a lot of different things that we can do with resistance training and equally many things that we can do with our own body weight but i think what you spoke about in terms of using the hips is really critical i really like a lot of hinge patterning with my guys so things like romanian deadlifts things like good mornings i think the capacity to use the hip is can be quite underrated sometimes in the sport. We really focus on getting the legs down, getting the knees down. But actually, like when we're looking at what the stroke looks like, once the knees are coming down, that hip is starting to open and that's where our peak force occurs. So I've got to be strong when I'm opening the hip, coming back to the back end of the fin. To hold that connection, you must have a strong core, hip, thigh connection. Hugely. So... Next question is, what are the benefits of maximum strength exercises versus lighter and higher repetition circuit style? I guess from our experience, we don't use the higher repetition stuff a lot, mainly because the guys do so much aerobic training already that a lot of the endurance training adaptations that we're going for are pretty specific to the sports. We don't use it a huge amount from when I have used it in the past, I haven't found that it's been hugely impactful on some of our performance markers that in fact, one of the side effects is sometimes you actually increase a little bit more muscle mass because you get more tonnage under your belt. Thinking about max strength is quite, can be quite a narrow term. If we're talking about strength training in general, that's a little bit more broader. Obviously max strength is a little bit more lower volume, lower repetitions, but slightly higher intensity, where for me, strength training probably covers everything from zero reps up to about 20, 25 reps. I think for me, higher repetition training. So that circuit style is what it does on the, is what it says on the tin, which is Mm -hmm. a little bit more endurance based. It's pretty good for developing your kind of general fitness early on in the season, particularly if you've had a period of like detraining or, or you haven't done so much, but For me, the endurance adaptations for rowing are so specific. I'll use the example, you can't just go running and then immediately be fit enough to do rowing. It just doesn't doesn't work like that. Those adaptations are so specific. I think I've seen some coaches go, okay, let's do 360 reps of high pulls at rate 30, but because that's what we do on the boat, but then there's no point because nothing can ever be as specific as training in the boat. Weight training is something else. It's another element that you're trying to add in to overload to develop other qualities that are going to support your own performance and so so the circuit is more about generating or developing endurance around the rowing stroke provided the circuit is designed to flow with the different components of the stroke 
So am I hearing you correctly? That's something you'd do more in the, the winter months in general preparation before you'd move into developing strength exercises to gain strength, to maybe yeah. put on muscle mass. In a way, I wouldn't say that you can ever make that circuit super specific to the sport. I don't think, I don't think there is ever going to be a strong enough transfer to get real specific rowing endurance adaptations from a circuit and putting that into the boat. The boat is going to be the only thing that can deliver that for you. And to some degree, the ergo as well. For me, I would be using those circuits as more general fitness. I think mm -hmm. particularly with younger guys where sometimes a rowing, we want them to be quite diverse in terms of their movement profile. We want them to be exposed to different movements because I think most of us as coaches will find people that have done other sports a little bit more coachable. So sometimes the circuit training could be a good way to integrate a little bit of that. And I think it's more effective for me looking in those earlier winter months to develop a little bit of fitness and expose our guys to a kind of broader range of movement patterns. Okay. So for masters rowers that are coming back to the sport or they're going through Christmas and new years, it's focusing on the more endurance based weightlifting, maybe in a circuit pattern or format, and then move into more of a strength development program that would be roughly what i'd be thinking i in some cases i wouldn't even depending on what you're doing as part of your other endurance training so if you're going out cycling if you're maybe doing some running or something like that i might not even use the circuit at all it's something we use pretty sparsely with our guys and also because if you do a lot of the rowing style specific ones how they're supposed to be designed to do they're pretty high risk in terms of load and injury if you're lifting heavy weights essentially to failure multiple times and you're getting towards a fatigued state and that's repetitive you're asking yourself to be shot in the foot really so what have we got the next question here how to speed up recovery after heavy squats <laughs> that's that's always the brutal one isn't it the, the heavy post heavy squatting i think you could probably talk about this with weight training in general, because obviously leg doms after squatting isn't the only time, only time we get sore after weight training. But the number one factor around managing muscle soreness is doing an activity more consistently. So if I don't squat or do some squatting on a fairly consistent basis, and I say I do squatting for one session and then come back a month and then I do it again, that muscle soreness is going to be much worse. So actually being able to be a little bit more consistent with your strength training will automatically allow you to manage your muscle soreness a little bit better. The other part to that is, it sounds a little bit cliche, but sleep and nutrition are definitely the most critical recovery factors. Adequate fuel is pretty key. And if I don't, if I'm not getting enough in, then I'm certainly not going to be, my body's not going to be adding in those extra tissues, throwing in those extra proteins to help my body adapt to the training. I think there's far too many of us who neglect our sleep. There's a really great book by a guy called Matthew Walker called Why We Sleep, who's a, a sleep guy in, a, I think it's a University of California, but really fascinating book about how sleep links with lots of other factors. Mm. Getting a good, getting at least seven hours of good quality sleep is pretty key if you want to optimize your recovery and gains after weights. And you have to get those basics. Shakes. James yeah. and other yeah. nutrition strategies for masters, mind you, not your Olympians. I think someone did ask a, a question about nutrition, so we'll definitely talk about that. I think we obviously always like to think about the sexier stuff like the ice baths and cold water immersion and sauna and other things like that. 
uh, but I thought I'd give the important things first. The, obviously, the other add-on to that is some of those things that I've outlined. I think what we tend to see is that it helps a lot with the perception of muscle soreness, but there isn't a huge physiological impact. I can use those things like ice baths and sauna and compression and that kind of stuff, but I think you also have to be careful about how frequently you use them. We definitely have to think about that a lot on the elite team where there are blocks where we're really working on training, then we don't want to interfere with the recovery and adaptation process too much artificially. So there's some evidence to suggest that if I'm constantly using ice baths, then it limits it blunts some of my adaptation to the strength training. So obviously when I'm in a big weight training block and there's no competition around, don't want my guys using the ice baths too much but as we get a little bit closer to competition then we can use some of those more artificial recovery methods because they're going to be a bit more effective and also when we're not as worried about training adaptation but a little bit more worried about recovering and preparing for the next race okay so we'll come to the protein shakes later mr Ian. should masters be doing sprint training on the ergo i wouldn't say there's any specific reason not to do any sprint training on the ergo again I guess from my experience of that kind of sprint training, my perception of it, I think it's a little bit more effective when it's on the boat. So when we're doing those shorter bursts, those 250 type repeat sessions, I think they're a little bit more effective on the boat. But the other kind of caveat you have to throw in there is, well, how much gain do we get from doing sprint training on the ergo when I'm already not at an adequate level of strength? Making sure I'm already at that good level of strength first to then decide, okay, now I can start making my training a little bit more specific. That's probably a good place to start. So let's say you're at the right place. <coughs> what kind of adaptions are you looking for doing really short sprint intervals on the water? Well, ultimately, I think from a, a rowing broad perspective, we're looking at speed is do you have the power to produce raw boat speed? That's pretty key. I think psychologically that has a big impact for a lot of rowers particularly at a good level when they know they can produce those high level of speed then that's pretty important physically it's a little bit it's a little bit different compared to what we're looking at aerobically challenging that anaerobic system and particularly that kind of alactic anaerobic system so my body's ability to use phosphocreatine mm-hmm. and use that to produce high force as quickly is, is pretty key do you think taking creatine helps in that It can do. It can do. You definitely have to use it. So for most creatine protocols, you have to load it. I think some people, I think in some, a lot of supplement companies put it in pre-workouts and just be like, okay, creatine gives you muscle power, et cetera. You need that muscle power for short duration, or you need creatine for those short duration bursts. And that's going to give you more muscle power, but you need to be dosing creatine properly. And if you are taking in, if, if you are eating adequate amounts of meat then you can get quite a bit of creatine from that but I, I would probably add I'm not a dietitian and I'm not a nutritionist I know a fair bit about the area but if you're thinking about using something like that you should probably consult a, a dietitian professional advice. definitely definitely it's not one of those things you want to just go oh take a couple of scoops each day and I'll be all good you want to make sure you get that to really optimize the effect anything you're putting in your body make sure you think about it exactly so definitely what weight training do you typically see master rowers neglect i think i think it's going back to that kind of first question is there's a little bit still of stigma around it and like just not doing those basics consistently i would probably say is the biggest thing that is maybe missing 
I think if you can really get used to doing some basic weight training, it's going to have some transfers across other sides. There'll be some masters guys that maybe go, okay, I don't do a lot of training in the gym, but I do a lot of yoga and work on my flexibility and my mobility. Whereas that's also a really good thing to do and and really beneficial in many ways. But strength training is also going to give you a little bit of that as well. I think they neglect all weight training. I think there's, and to be fair, there's a couple of points uh, that counter this is that there's work often office jobs and they're sitting down a lot so they really need to get into some strength training in my opinion but when they get out to the club they get on the water and that's the amount of time they have is the amount of time they have but for the listeners out there i would definitely prioritize one or two sessions a week versus the water if that's the the constraint of time I'd be saying, what session do I sacrifice on the water to get strong and to maybe strengthen some areas of weakness, James, especially around the core. And I also see the legs don't look as strong as they were probably when they were in their 30s. Now, Sander Rosendahl, how to balance weight training with other forms of training when you have limited time to train as a master's row? I guess that covers a little bit of what you just said there, but I think time is that precious commodity that we all want and need. The benefits of strength training are vast. I remember, so when I worked in the British team previously, Jürgen Grobler had a really good little food plate analogy for how he viewed some of the different parts of training. And he was like, okay, so potatoes is your base endurance, your volume work, you have your meat, this is the strength training, and then you have your salad, and this is all the other stuff that we do. You can see in his eyes how important that that strength training is for his guys i think i and i think it's definitely a a key thing and it's going to be impactful for a lot of masters rowers and you you have to prioritize it in a way if you want to have the benefit like one of the things we can definitely look at the elite guys for is we see how consistency how consistent they are if you bypass the volume the intensities the, the mileage everything else that they do they're so consistent with going, okay, a normal training week, it's three weight sessions. And you can scale that down for a master's guy and be like, okay, my normal training week, it's one to two weight sessions. Mm. I like to use like a bit of a credit card analogy, which is I say, okay, you've got 500 bucks on your credit card for the week. How do you want to spend it? Are you going to spend 200 bucks in one rowing session where you'd be maybe better off going, okay, let's take that rowing session a little bit steadier. Let's have an extra strength session here and I can spread my money a little bit more. So I I think one strategy I found working with people who are busy as professionals is to just block some time for it. Whatever you're doing is going, okay, I know my session's going to be here eight o'clock on a Monday. I've got 40 minutes of ergo to do followed by 30 minutes of lifting. That's my session. Yeah, stick to that religiously and if i'm busy at work that's fine i get what i need to do done go and do my session come back to it after because nine times out of ten you'll actually feel a little bit better from doing that i think sand the other way to look at this is is in the blocks through the year so in the, perhaps in the winter months when you're not getting out in the water and it's on the ergo and you want to vary it up try to get that strength in a consistent block I would definitely be doing two sessions a week. And I'm of the opinion that if you have to sacrifice one over the other, the strength is going to take longer to to start getting ready along with the the aerobic system. And you may want to get moving on some of the weaker areas as well. So if you have an inherent weakness around the core, you may want to spend a little bit more time getting ready for the season, strengthening the core, strengthening those hinging movements around the pelvis, the glutes, 
or whatever, shoulder, if there's a weakness. But I think balance is the key and definitely be doing that. Now, Bruce asks what food and what to drink and eat to go with weight training. I saw there was a reply, beer. But other than alcohol, what, what are you recommending there, Jeff? You know, beer's got some good calories. You can, you can turn that down. <laughs> this is my disclaimer moment of I'm not a dietitian, but I can give some generic advice. I think how we want to approach some of our nutrition around weight training is to have this kind of pyramid effect. And at the base of that pyramid is my energy intake. Regardless of what my goals are, if I need to put on more muscle mass, then I'm going to need a calorie surplus. If I'm looking to lose a little bit of body fat, then I need a calorie deficit. So until you've got that right, everything else is irrelevant. And working up that, we're then looking at, okay, what are the ratios of macronutrients that I need? If I'm really working on developing my strength, then I'm going to need an adequate amount of protein. That's, we know is quite key. And certainly certain types of proteins are also important. I won't go into too much detail, but then the next level is then going, okay, then are the rest of my micronutrients enough? Things like vitamin D, zinc, B vitamins are hugely important in terms of the adaptation to the training process. Then I can look at the other stuff, which is my nutrition timing. What I ideally want to do is I have a bit of a a window post-weight training where, um, trying to think of the right phrasing for this, but my essentially some of my growth hormone and some other factors involved in adapting to weight training are a little bit more elevated. And if I can get protein in quickly, then it helps me recover a little bit quicker. That's what some of the evidence suggests. Obviously, that becomes irrelevant unless you're not eating enough protein in the rest of your the part of your diet. But that's a kind of another thing. It's that food first approach. It's getting the base of the pyramid right, calories first, then looking at maybe what macronutrients am I getting? Obviously, for weight training, I definitely need to be getting adequate protein then the micronutrients and then things like timing and supplements and stuff like that goes on the top then. So for the Swiss team, what do they recommend? Uh, Taking a protein shake or getting something natural in? So for our guys, most of the time there, our general advice is we probably want 20 grams of protein as quick as you can post-session in the way some of the guys actually take them with them and just have them at the back end of the session. There's a bit of an individual variation as to who does that. Some guys prefer to take that from a supplement just because it can be quite easy to digest. And when you eat the volume of food that these guys do, you can get pretty sick of eating. So a shake is an easy way to do that. Other guys prefer to take that in actual kind of food form, or it might be milk. It might be something like that. So milk is generally a good go-to or whey-based protein is generally a good go-to because it's very quickly absorbable into the body, which is why athletes use it so much. Any thoughts on the different approaches for males versus females or lightweights versus heavyweights with weight training? Probably, I guess, one of the things with the women that we tend to find they're a little bit weaker around the upper body. I would say for most male rowing programs, we're looking around like a 60-40 split between lower body and upper body. Women's probably a little bit more... 50 50 55 45 if that makes sense so we tend to find that as a bit of a key area for our girls i think on the grand scheme of things the human body is the human body there isn't a huge amount of specific training that we need to look towards for female athletes relative to males specifically but there are a few tweaks that we might use to try and optimize the training process like we tend to do a little bit more volume with the girls 
because the boys tend to be a little bit more, tend to carry a little bit more kind of type two muscle fibers and they tend to naturally be slightly more explosive. So the girls get a better response from doing a little bit more volume in the gym. Uh, but there's not there's not a huge change. You don't have to rewrite the world to do different programs for that. Obviously, with lightweights, we've definitely got to consider that weight limitation. So timing of weights is a little bit more important with lightweights. There are components of the sessions that we can use to make sure we minimize the kind of hypertrophy effects of that muscle building effect that we get after weight training. Things like doing a little bit of low intensity cardio after the weight session, trying to limit limit eccentric muscle contractions because they tend to think that cause the most muscle damage and the biggest hypertrophic response. So there are little things we can definitely do again with lightweights, but it's not same as it is for uh, males and females. It's not hugely different. Okay, fair enough. Do you really see a, an impact in speed or performance technique aside? Like athlete, like for those that are going to the gym and those that don't. So what are you observing? We definitely see when it becomes a limiting factor. We've had guys on the team that have been exceptionally good aerobically, have been very talented boat movers, but have really lacked the power to maybe make the biggest impact. And you know how I often look at it is go, okay, max power is my end goal at the season that I want to develop. What makes up max power is then my ability to produce maximum force. And that is underpinned by how much muscle mass I have. So that's my kind of pathway of looking at which bit is the limiting factor for someone who maybe doesn't produce a huge amount of power. One guy we put on a huge hypertrophy program, he was doing about eight weight sessions a week and very limited, very limited training on the water, just enough to keep him ticking over. And he put about hundred Watts on his max power production, definitely from carrying a little bit more body weight, but this then had a subsequent impact on his 2k performance on the ergo which he dropped five seconds which at that kind of elite level is pretty big so we knew that muscle mass was a big limiting factor to how much like power he could produce in terms of a general thing that i look at like like i have the time and i'm with the swiss team to be able to do this daily but i'm looking at the loads that the guys are doing and i will be predicting a 1rm i'll be using some of the velocity data that the guys use to help give some also further information. So some of the bar velocity data, and I'll be looking at that over time. I don't tend to look at go, okay, we did a test here and a test here. What was the, what was the change? Like the biological variability in elite athletes is so high that I want to see everyone's back squat plotted on a little graph, but what I may be looking over a four year cycle, that trend line is hopefully going up. So how does someone just easily catch this? Do they they just use the old notebook or start using the Excel file and just track this on a, would you do on a weekly basis or would you track it more over months or years? If you've got the time, it's good to track everything that you do. Obviously, I know it's very difficult. We do everything on Excel and we don't keep everything in-house. So I would say go electronic is the way forward because it'll probably be easier and more convenient and you'll be able to more quickly access that data. Everyone's got like Garmin's and stuff like that these days. I think even on training peaks, you can track some, you can track some weight training data as well on there. And general principles about progression. Is it that you, the mind of slow and steady, just incrementally increase? What's your thinking there, James? Just masters to say, how much should I put on each week Mm -hmm. more than last week? I'm probably a little bit more in the realm of consistency. So just going 
actually how many times did you even get to the gym in the past month that's pretty uh, that's the key benchmark for me first then i probably look at the other stuff but i would definitely say i'm a little bit more on the side of kind of incremental progression and i do use some blocks where i push the guys really hard like really quite close to the limit because i i know i've got a window that i can really push that and i know i'll when they bounce back out the other side it's going to be okay but so it's a little bit of both, but I think for most masters guys, I'm going to be looking a little bit more incremental because ultimately, you know, what they put on the bar, that's not going to really matter. Like they want to going to be making sure that they go fast on the water and that they stay healthy. That's the key things. And strength training is going to be the thing that is one of the most impactful strategies that we have to impact the latter. And we also know strength training can definitely impact the first thing as well. And we don't have to necessarily be going, oh, am I doing plus two and a half kilos each week? Don't worry about that too much. Just get yourself in the gym, make sure you're doing the exercises and, and you've got good movement patterns. And I'm sure it's going to have some impact on your boat performance. So that's pretty much the summary in a nutshell, isn't it? Strength training, absolutely. Make sure that you're consistent in turning up to the gym and you're doing the, a good range of movements. More endurance in away from the racing season, so you're preparing your body and then move into more strength. Make sure you're eating well after getting the skin and the macronutrients in. And would you recommend any resources, books, websites to visit where one could get more informed on this there's a couple there's a couple floating around i think ones that are specific to rowing there's a, i think it's science of rowing some of those guys they're doing some really good content at the moment that i've seen that's super specific for the sport so i definitely recommend that there's a lot of there's a lot of good content out there and it doesn't always have to be specific to rowing. Definitely check out what some other sports are doing. Have a look at what some swimming guys are doing, running, cycling. They'll definitely give you some good insights as well around what you can do. And James, finally, is there anything I haven't asked you that perhaps I should have? I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a, a broad range of topics. I don't know, I don't know what we'll cover next time. Maybe some long-term annual planning, something like that. Who knows? But They should just send in some questions. And we'll have a look at it. Definitely. And where can be, uh, people connect with you online or Instagram, Facebook? I'm in the process of probably starting something up from a, a coaching and consultation basis. So I will be launching an Instagram at some point in the near future. Uh, I also use Twitter mainly. So my tag is goody. So G-O-O-D-Y underscore one zero. And that's sometimes where I post a little bit more about training content fantastic we're going to have to get you back on the pod probably talk about that uh, long-term planning i think that could be excellent, cool. excellent. Be deep when are you getting back to switzerland mate so i'll be back in the new year so we did originally plan to be on training camp obviously that's now a little bit unlikely not 100 percent confirmed but the guys will be training in the new year and getting deep into the getting deep into the winter mileage james thank you very much it's been great talking to you on the podcast. I look forward to next time. Take care. Yes, thank you very much. Join me next time when I'll be talking with one of the rowing world's most interesting people. And if you like this episode, you can subscribe so you never miss an episode in the future. Oh, and please, if you like it, leave us a five-star review. That really helps us out. You can find out more about our unique training system and high-performance coaching by visiting whchambers.com.